Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. Sometimes I'll work on one canvas and I'll put something in and I'll take it out and then I'll put something else and I'll take it out and I will document this as it goes. And then after like two weeks, what I've realized is that one poor canvas was eight different paintings. I never made it better or worse. I only made it different. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show where you'll find the tools and techniques, concepts, and mindsets you need to design your own artistic path. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers, and today I'm talking with Lisa Daria Kennedy. Kennedy joined me back in episode 14 to talk about her work as a daily painter. That means she starts and finishes a painting every single day. But that's only part of her studio practice, which includes much larger work. And that's what we're talking about today. In the conversation, you'll discover the power of setting time limits for working big, how larger, more experimental pieces can be a great fit with your daily art practice, and how to overcome that blank, giant canvas. For show notes and to sign up for the newsletter, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 62. All right, here we go. Hi, Lisa. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about painting large. So listeners of the show know you for your daily painting work, which is small. So has painting large always been a part of your art practice? Or was it something that came later? Or was it something that started first? It came later. So when I went to college, I went to college for illustration, I spent one very short semester as a painting major and it did not go well. I did not know how to paint. And I would make some big paintings over there, but I mean, to call them painting, I don't know. It didn't go well. So I really wanted to learn to paint. And I started with the smaller paintings and then eventually progressed into larger ones. The bigger paintings I do now in the studio, which we're kind of talking about, are definitely a different, slightly different practice. And I feel like both of them kind of have to happen in order to be successful in a studio session. I'm not going to say the paintings are successful, but to be ready to get in there and paint. From a practice standpoint, how does the small painting work with the large painting and vice versa? I think they're completely unrelated with the exception of, I don't know if you've ever heard people say, or if you've said it yourself, I know I've said it too, like for the gym, I haven't been to the gym in a while. I don't go to the gym. I don't even know why I use this as a comparison, but you know, and to get back into it's going to be impossible to start again. So the daily painting takes that excuse out. If I do that every single day, I can pop on into the studio after a month of not working on a big painting and feel ready to dive right in again, which I couldn't say for not going to the gym every day and then being able to just dive right back in. So it really keeps me energized and feeling ready. For you with your larger work, are there things that you feel like you can express large that you can't express small? 
Yes. I like to combine more than one thing happening at once and kind of juxtapose things together on a bigger canvas. And just the space in general on painting larger allows me to divide up a canvas in different ways. It allows me to work with a little bit deeper space. That is not to say people working on a six inch canvas cannot make deeper space and, and work really small, but where I'm working with kind of bigger brushes and the mark making I use is pretty loose. I wouldn't be as confident working small in that way, although it might be kind of fun to try. But yeah, so the bigger canvas just allows me more opportunity to tell more of a story. In your students, sometimes do you see them trying to do too much with a small painting that would just be fixed if they went up a couple sizes? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one thing I see with myself that I know of from working on a small canvas is sometimes I'm trying to let it solve all my problems and I'm working way too long on it. So it's not that maybe people are putting too much into the small canvas. It's that you're working a really long time on the small canvas. That's not to say you can't work a long time on it. But for me, I know that that is better handled on a bigger canvas or working on more than one small panel at once or more than one big canvas at once. How does your pacing change from your smaller work to your bigger work? It doesn't change too much. So the smaller paintings I allot from five to eight in the morning to work on, but they don't take me three hours to make anymore. And I really don't encourage anybody to work three hours on a six inch painting. You don't need that much time. You just need to cut down the time you're doing it. So if it takes about an hour to do a small six inch painting, that's about my sweet spot. And I think everybody has a sweet spot of time before they start self-sabotaging their own painting. So even on the big canvases, I will only work for one hour and then I will walk away. I will walk out of the studio. I will walk away from the painting. I can go back in a little bit and work for another hour, but I really cannot work any longer. I really make bad decisions when I do things like that. What is the process for your larger work? What are the steps you go through generally for a bigger painting? So the larger work, I generally have a theme that I'm painting towards. I am focused on more of a narrative with those, so more storytelling, which I kind of said, and that's pretty vague. So let me try to figure out how to say that differently. I like on those to combine still life, figurative, interior, and landscape. So I'm combining all of those genres and in hopes that they kind of break one of them, right? I am working differently there. And generally I have a topic that I'm working towards, like whether it be a word or on the earlier series of works that are on my website. I forget what they're titled as. Like one is called Too Polite to Ask. That went under a heading of this whole thing I wrote, which is on there in the artist statement. And it was on abject embodiment, which I don't know. A lot of painters work towards the theme of the abject. And I had read this work by some doctors that decided after a body goes through a period of time of abject circumstances that there's abject embodiment that happens afterwards. And it's sort of this place of disassociation and displacement. And and so I was kind of working towards that. That's a lot of words for going in there and painting. And I had that in mind. And then how I was going to depict that visually you know, when I'm out there painting and thinking in these ways, I think, why, what am I doing? Why am I just not a writer? Because words, I feel like words are so specific and you just choose a word and that means what you're trying to say, right? But then you pick these images or 
imagery, I should say, to recreate or or to put together. It's not really recreating imagery, but you pick these visuals to represent this idea. And those really can be interpreted in different ways. And you're really responsible for what that looks like. It's complicated. So yeah, I have this whole thing written out and it sounds great in words. And then I try to almost paint to it. I sort of recently have limited that thinking not to a whole bunch of paragraphs written, but to one word leisure. And I've been playing with these old 16 millimeter films that I had digitized of some family's vacation, years and years worth of their vacation. And I thought it was interesting that every time they picked up the 16 millimeter camera, they were only focusing on fun and leisure And every time they put back the camera down, that period of time ended, and then they'd pick it up again and be either on the same vacation or a different one or some activity that was completely unrelated to the first one. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to play off of and working with the digital film like that too, you, you know, you almost don't really have a live model, but you have something that's moving. So that's kind of an interesting thing to play around with. What I find really interesting about what you're saying is that juxtaposing this with your daily practice, which you also have, like you're so clear about the daily painting. You go in, you know what you're painting, you know the approach, you you know everything and it's to show up. And then thinking about larger work, like you're really exploring and you're walking into territory you don't know the answers to yet. Do you think that that's one of the things, not that you can't do that with small work, but that that's one of the benefits of working large? I think it's one of the benefits of working large. It also, for me, I do have a very set in limited rules from the paints I use to the size canvas, to the time of day, to the subject matter on the daily painting. And then when I go into the studio, I feel like it's opposite world. And I've now given myself permission to use all the paints, all the materials, the bigger canvas, tons of brushes or things to put paint on with. I don't know if I'd feel so liberated without having that rule-based project in the morning. What are the sizes of your large canvases? The biggest I've worked is about 48 by 60. And I'll do 48 by 48, 40 by 30. They're a decent size for sure. And they're stretched canvas. I'll start usually with acrylic and then I'll use oil on top. And sometimes I sand into them. So they are also kind of an additive and subtractive process where I'll put stuff on and I'll take it away again. You mentioned that you sort of work in a series. What are the benefits of working in a series for someone who is trying to paint large? For me, the benefits of working in a series is that not one canvas has to solve all my problems. So sometimes I'll work on one canvas and I'll put something in and I'll take it out and then I'll put something else and I'll take it out. And I will document this as it goes. And then after like two weeks, what I've realized is that one poor canvas was eight different paintings. I never made it better or worse. I only made it different. That's why for me, working in a series gets me out of my own way. So I'm not trying to solve this one problem in my head, which might be really tangible or might not be, might be a little elusive as as you're hearing me talk about it. When I work on more than one in a series, I can experiment with different ways to visually interpret or solve the problem. What are the biggest challenges that you see your students facing when it comes to, I guess, making the transition into painting large? I think sometimes it's maybe giving yourself 
kind of freedom to break some of the rules. Like not everything has to line up. You can play with scale. You can play with repetition. You can play with cropping. You don't have to just look at what's in front of you and and reinterpret it. You can, you could do anything you want for everything I say. There's going to be somebody else that does what I'm not saying perfectly and well and teaches it well. And this is just one approach. So just giving yourself that freedom to not rely on your drawing skills to elaborate on the canvas to react what goes down so to not recreate an image so sometimes you have a little tiny pain and you're like I want to make this big and then you recreate it perfectly and there's almost really no interaction with the paint or the canvas because you know exactly where to put everything so this is more interactive in that you can respond to a drip you can respond to something you can turn the canvas upside down you can redraw over it and it's very much a push and pull as to what goes down and what you take away and what you decide to leave and keep Because it sounds like you really are in a different mental space for that. How hard was it to learn sort of what you needed in a mental space for the large work, but then also how to give it to yourself? It was very difficult to learn because I was only painting the six inch observational paintings. It was really hard to give myself permission to break out of that. It was really difficult to know what to paint. It was really hard not to just set something up with a nice strong light source and recreate that because I knew how to do that and I knew how to do it bigger, but I felt that I wanted the canvases to be more of a storytelling device. It was really difficult to break out of that for sure. It it was just hard to have things be weird looking or ugly or awkward. It was really difficult. But then I would look at some painters where their stuff looked unusual. And what would happen is it would be a better device for telling the story than something that was perfectly rendered. Right. So it almost sounds like it was a combination of you figuring out what you wanted to do at the same time of you giving yourself permission to do what you wanted to do. You know, it wasn't me figuring out what I wanted to do. It it was definitely giving permission, but it was also a lot of looking and a lot of seeing how other people were working and how other people were telling it a story and how maybe the looser somebody was or the less representational a painter was working, how that really added to the narrative more so. And that's not to say that there's not examples of things that are really tight to that tell the story as well. It really was becoming more aware of what was being made and how people were working and having a lot of conversations with other artists. I took a graduate school program in painting and we got to work with mentors one-on-one and that was really helpful. And I heard a lot of things that made me want to cry a little bit about what I was making, right? So because, you know, there's all these other ways to make things and we just try stuff on for size and we see what fits and we can really make something look the way we want it to look, but it depends on what you want it to say and how that helps what you're saying. You know, it's kind of a hard thing to describe, but it did not come easily. We walk into art having these preset ideas about what art is and is not, sort of whether we realize it or not. As part of Painting Large, did you sort of have to break through some of those preconceived ideas that you may not have even known were there? 
Absolutely. And that's why for me, working for one hour increments is significant too, because after an hour, I swear to you, those voices come right back into my head. Like you can't draw hands. Have you considered a different major? You know, well, yes, I have. College is the best 10 years of my life. I've done a lot of majors actually. So those voices are very real and they come just creeping on back in no matter how many times I do something. And, you know, even I hear criticism on stuff I do all the time, like the daily paintings. And I understand I understand, but that just is what it is. That is a daily practice. In a way, for me, the imagery doesn't matter that much with that. Because you know what those daily paintings are, and your bigger work is more exploratory, does that make it more vulnerable in the sense that there are more spaces for not only your negative voices, but also like the world? Like, do you have to protect that larger work in a different way than you protect your smaller work? I don't think so. No, I don't, I don't feel like there's a reason to protect it. Maybe at the beginning when I was working less representational, it felt like there were two of me and they are pretty unrelated in style. And that was one of the voices too, where everything has to look the same. And I thought, you know what? I can't, I do not think like that. I cannot work like that. And I really do compartmentalize my day into different segments too. So I can do this and this and that and that. And then um, there was definitely a vulnerability to it and not wanting to squelch it accidentally like kind of wanted to see where it would go and you know at the beginning when you're starting on something it can be a little hard to understand where it's going and in maybe too many outside ideas might sway it but I don't know I'm not at that point I like collaboration and I enjoy feedback but I think at different stages it could have hurt my feelings (laughs) Well, for you, for materials, when someone is interested in scaling up, is it just an issue of getting bigger brushes or is there more to it from a material standpoint? I think there's more to it. It's mixing paint, using medium, considering if you're going to, you know, sand stuff back out, getting further away from your canvas, using your entire body or arm to make things, putting a canvas on the wall, taking it off the floor. For me, it's a more physical endeavor than just scaling up the brushes, you know, getting pieces of cardboard to smear paint. Yeah, there's definitely some technical stuff involved as far as materials go, but also like it's about being able to move around with it a lot differently than the six inch canvas. How did how you use a palette change? It really hasn't changed that much. I still mix as I go. Sometimes I'll use a tiny little like cup that you use for mouthwash to mix up a bigger blob. And also if I'm using acrylic, then I'll mix some medium in it to make it go a little bit further. If I'm using oil, I have a mixture of one third stand, one third Gamsol, and one third linseed that extends the color out further to the paint out further. How my palette changed is instead of using a little tiny palette or, you know, the New Yorker cover, like I use with daily paintings or New Yorker magazine, I line a whole table with disposable palette sheets and use those. And you get some time over those that you can reuse them a little bit. I'll tape them down and then I'll just mix across that. I think there's some value in using a glass palette that you can use over and over again. Maybe using a disposable palette is not a great idea because you're throwing that out often. So something to consider if you're setting up and you haven't gotten into habits yet, like definitely consider something that you don't have to dispose of. But it sounds like give yourself space to do what you need to do from a mixing standpoint. Yes, definitely. Yep. Yep. And I'll still mix with brushes. People will mix with palette knives to not waste paint. I think there's probably better habits out there than what I have, but it's just what works for me. 
I use a lot of different brushes too. I don't have just a few and I don't wash them every day. I usually just put them in Murphy's oil soap and wash them on a day where I don't really feel like painting. You said that you use acrylics in the beginning, but then you use oils. What about oils helps you paint large in a way that the acrylics maybe didn't help you? Well, the oils won't dry as quickly. The oils have a different type of luminosity to them, I think, sometimes on the bigger canvases. I like that I can put paint on and then scrape it off a couple hours later if it's not what I thought it would be. I think that's how that's made me paint. I think I could still paint larger with acrylic too, though. I don't think you need to switch to oil to paint larger. Big painting takes more of everything. How do you keep getting precious about pouring out five dollars of paint and thinking like oh how do you keep that from affecting the painting part i still keep my materials pretty limited in cost i mean the paint is something you can't get around but the cost of the canvas is if i buy pre-primed canvas and then prime it myself again you get a nice smooth surface i can stretch it myself i'll buy stretched canvases from michael's they go on sale it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of cost in the surface i think the surfaces freaked me out more than the paint because i always feel like even if i put paint down And like you said, it was, you know, a a blob of $5 paint. If whatever marks I put down didn't work, they're going to exist somehow. Even if I cover them up some or sand them back down, they sort of add to the end product. So the paint part doesn't concern me, but the surfaces have, you know, depending on how much those cost. So I try to take that out of the equation so I'm not nervous to mess them up because sometimes a white canvas that's nice and clean beautiful as is like how can I make that look any better or different you know so yeah there's some concern sometimes depending on how expensive the surface is so I try to limit that I do take that out of the equation right but it sounds like you're conscious of that like you recognize that that was something that was pushing back and so you figured out a solution to it yeah like in art school they had us paint on expensive paper sometimes and that would always make me really nervous and I still to this day do not do well on expensive watercolor paper I just don't like I don't know that's probably contrary to what we're supposed to be saying but I I do feel nervous with things that have just a small window of opportunity It can feel really scary staring at a white canvas, especially if you're new to painting large. So how do you encourage your students to just get started painting large? Or how do you encourage yourself to just get started? I'll tell you how I get started. I paint the whole darn white canvas in quinacridone magenta. So it's screaming pink. And you have no choice but to cover that up because it is very uncomfortable to hang out with very three large canvases full of pink. So I generally make it worse before I make it better. There's an urgency there when you've messed it up a little bit. You know, you can't make it any worse than a big, gigantic, bright canvas that you can barely look at. So that's how I kind of get started by messing it up. For you, what was the biggest transition from like you had your system for painting small and then painting large required a new system? The painting large, the system definitely lining up more than one canvas next to each other to paint more than one simultaneously. I would say that was probably the biggest step in a new direction rather than overworking one canvas to the point of no return. How many do you work on at once? About three. My space isn't too big. It's about 16 by 16 feet. So I don't have a ton of space. Working on three at a time is about what I can do without tripping over things. How do you analyze your work? 
I really just walk to the other side of the studio. So it's really not that far, but I do feel like in the time that you turn your back and you walk away, you have enough time to kind of cleanse your palate in order to look back around and see it slightly differently. If I can't get enough distance, not physical, but mental, let's put it that way. I'll take a picture with my phone and I'll look at it that way. Also, there's a bit of an advantage or disadvantage, depending on the way you're wired, taking a photo with your phone because the contrast is going to change and the lighting is going to change slightly. The coloration is going to change, but sometimes that actually allows you to see it in a different way. And seeing it smaller like that can help walking away on the other side of the room, you're seeing it a little bit smaller, you're seeing the bigger picture, instead of just this hyper focus in one teeny tiny area, kind of the same working digitally, if you zoom in, and then all of a sudden you zoom out, you're like, Oh, I've only been working on half an inch for two hours. Whoa, it's sort of the same thing that you really have to position yourself and then reposition yourself and take an inventory of what damage you're doing. And it's enough to walk away and just have that brief moment of, you know, allowing it the peace it needs to live for a second. And then when I analyze it on the other side of the room, I can then sort of say, oh, that's working or that's not working either compositionally or even just with contrast if something's too dark in a different area. You can kind of go back through those baseline rules of composition at that point, if that's what you're looking at. Or you can even say to yourself a bigger question, like, what is it I want somebody to see here? Is this saying anything? And that's kind of a scary question to ask. When do you do that kind of thinking? Do you just get paint down in the beginning with an idea that you're headed toward and then later start working toward those answers to those questions? You know, I'll start with direct from observation and then I'll work with the found imagery kind of thing. I have some idea of characters that I want to reappear a few times throughout different campuses um, or even just a certain setting. You can start with thumbnails. You can start with sketches. That's almost more of like an illustration type of way to start too. Then that becomes more of working towards, I don't want to stick to my original sketch or plan too much, but then I also don't want to attack a canvas without any intention either. So it is a fine line between the two for sure. But it sounds like you have an idea intention going in, but maybe not necessarily a thumbnail. Or do you do do thumbnails for the larger work? I have a lot of little drawings I've done in the studio and I often put those together for the larger work. So if I'm stuck in one spot, I can gravitate towards one of those and include it. And those are just marker drawings on pieces of index cards and I tape them to the walls. And so if something else needs to happen, if something's not balanced or there seems to be a, a hole or in either the story or the canvas itself, then I can include, I can include something else. For your students who want to paint large, do you recommend that they start small and work their way up to large? Or do you recommend just ripping off the Band-Aid and getting a bunch of large canvases? I don't think you need to start small to paint big. I don't think it'll hurt you to start small to paint big, but I don't think there's a need either way. Where are the places in your large work that you pause for planning? The pauses for planning actually for the bigger paintings happen in the winter because my studio is kind of cold. So in the winter, I feel like I'm hunting and gathering for information to include in canvases when I get back in there. They might just start from a line I read or an idea or a word that sticks with me for sure. 
And then I can almost start to gather visuals in my head or draw them out that will hopefully support that word or phrase or something. It doesn't always work out, but that's okay. That's why we keep going back in there. It sounds like you don't rush these, that they have their own timeline in coming into being. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Um, So some seem to happen rather quickly and it's like you weren't even there. And then other ones, they keep on hanging around. And eventually, sometimes I will just turn a canvas around and say no more, right? And then when you turn around two weeks later, then you have a little bit more clarity as to what needs to change. Or maybe you were just being too hard on it or yourself and it, it can live the way it is. For you, you mentioned how you interact with color. How do you make your color decisions in your large work? In the large work, I'm generally going for a palette that I kind of have preconceived. So I will work with a certain limited colors, like three kind of newest ones I have on the website have a lot of yellow in them. So I'll use that one color as a base and then connect those. There's methods though, like you can grab a photograph and pull colors from that. If you like it, you can use other paintings you've used in the past of palettes you like and choose from that. But I think I'm going more I don't want to say a limited color palette, but there's they definitely lean towards being overshadowed by one color. Do you already know that or do you discover that as you go? I think on the first one, I probably discover it as I go. And then the other two, I steer them in that direction. Right. So then for these, is the series the three paintings or do those three paintings get born together and then you do another three that are based on that first three? Yeah, I think that they keep feeding into other ones for sure. I might have two series going at once that I'm working on. So yeah, those three right now will continue. And then yeah, I have like another little set that I'm working with. They're much smaller. And sometimes it's nice when you have a problem that you're solving on a big canvas to be working on smaller ones at the same time. Do you bring those three to completion and then start other work or is all of this happening simultaneously? Simultaneously. How do you know what your next move is you'll make on a piece? Sometimes I will write a list when I'm done with in a one hour session just to make bulleted items as to what to start with the next day because it can be kind of overwhelming to go back into the studio and figure out where to start. Um, How do I make decisions on what happens next? I generally have to walk away and come back in fresh through the course of a day and figure that stuff out. So like a bullet list would come at the end of the day of what to do tomorrow. And throughout the day, if I look at something after a small break, I can generally decide what to do next. But I do need a little bit of a break from looking at it. It seems like you're really aware of your emotional energy in the studio. Was that hard to learn? Or I guess, how did you learn to sort of take your own temperature? It was really hard to learn because a lot of people I was hanging around with at the beginning when I was working bigger would say, oh, I spent eight hours in the studio today. And I would think doing what? Like, it's not that I have a problem with an attention span. It's just, I will I will kill all the paintings in there if I spend eight hours in that one room. It's too small. I don't want to be in one space for eight hours. So it is about being in tune to what works for you because what is really working for like an artist that you really admire just might not work for you. It just might not. And you really have to figure out what works. And I, and a lot of people that have had trouble in the studio, it is a lot to do with that, like working too long on one thing or working for too long of an extended period of time that you're just 
tired and exhausted and bored and there's no other way around it. How fast are you working on these? I'm working pretty fast on them, but they could still take like 40 hours to finish one. And, you know, it's partly due to the nature of the oil paint, too. I have to wait for certain parts to dry. That does slow you down, too. That's not such a bad thing. I think for myself, still, though, sometimes one painting could have been eight different paintings. And I'm still working on that. And the way that I get around that now is I take pictures at the end of my sessions and that I can really see. I can at least document the eight different paintings and then try to think a little bit more of how can I not do that to myself or this poor painting. But it sounds like you really had to learn to see that impulse, both to find it and then what to do about it. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's definitely impulse, impulsive. It definitely is this need to, maybe it's like gratuitous to continue to put these strokes down on the painting or whatever it is. But for me, the mindfulness of working in shorter increments really helps because then I'm not approaching something just because there's extra pain on the palette or on the brush. How much is writing a part of your process? It's a good part of my process. Definitely. Even if it's stuff that people aren't going to read, I think writing things out makes it clearer as to what I'm trying to put on the canvas, whether that's going to be evident to somebody or not, I can't tell, but there, there would be an artist statement that would accompany things. And part of the pursuit is either trying to get clarity in the artwork or trying to find ways to represent what you're doing. It's not that you have to actually see in the canvas something, but that's more of an internal problem that I'm solving. Is writing part of the mindfulness practice around your larger work? Definitely, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you think it benefits artists to find ways to be mindful in their work? I think it depends on the way you work. Everything that works for me, there's going to be something that doesn't work for somebody else. And I think it's just a matter of trying tons of things on for size and see what fits and then sort of making your own lineage in the studio. Like this works, this is counterintuitive from what that is, but this works too. I think to be formulaic about stuff, I certainly am formulaic about the daily paintings. Absolutely. But then I think that gives me the leverage to be able to completely treat the bigger picture a lot differently. How does having something with such structure like the dailies. Do you need that structure of the dailies to give yourself permission to be more structuralist in the bigger work? Absolutely. It's the daily painting set the tone for the day. I've already done something tangible. It's done. It's finished. And if the rest of the day in the studio is more about experimentation and perhaps that one day doesn't feel great, you know, it's part of the process. So the daily paintings, I think absolutely ground me and then just keep me primed for being able to go in there and pick up a big brush if I've taken some time out from being in there. There can be this tendency to look back at our painting day and certain things register as counting or not counting as having done work. And experimentation, for me at least, I don't ever look back and think like, man, I did a lot of work because I can't really point to anything specific or maybe it's all problems still and I haven't solved it. But does daily painting help you there? Because you're like, no, I, I can look at something. I officially did it. So it counts today. I think for me, it's more the time. Like we have to show up for the job to make it count, right? So it might not be that the whatever came out of our hands and onto the canvas with paper is going to be award-winning, but I definitely, if I can hold myself accountable, if I can say I was in the studio, not just sweeping the floor, that I 
cleared the path for whatever's going to come next, at least. So even if it, all of it is, is worthwhile, I think the even breaks from the studio can be counted. Going to openings or going to exhibits or going to lectures, all of that can be counted too, because you never know who's going to say something that adds to the lineage that you hang out with in your studio. How important was it for you to shift the counting to showing up and not quote unquote quality of work you produced? I bet you at the beginning, that's probably what kept me from showing up in the studio because it was mind boggling how bad things could look. So it definitely took a while to get that shift to happen. And even still, it can be quite mind boggling. Like, who did that? I don't, I don't recall it looking that bad when I left, but you can't not go back and you can't not keep showing up. That's the thing. Like you just have to show up for the job. Everyone shows up for a job, right? And this is no different. Right. But people like have to learn what mindsets they need to show up to the job. Yeah. And no matter what job you have, you're going to have a bad day at work. Everyone's going to have one, right? Something's going to go wrong. This is no different. And maybe people equate painting or studio time. I mean, maybe they equate painting to fun or, and it doesn't have to not be fun, but it's not always going to be fun. Work isn't always fun. So I think it's just giving yourself that space to be able to have a range of emotions in the studio. It's not all going to go well. It, it doesn't for me. And like I said, when people are in the studio for eight hours and they, I think, oh, no, thank you. No, that's no, I need a balance. Everyone needs, I, I, not, maybe not everybody. I hate to speak in generalizations, but I need a balance. For you with the writing, does that show up in journaling? Does that show, you mentioned the lists. Oh, it shows up all sorts of ways. Yeah, it shows up in lists. It shows up in things that I think are going to be academic papers, but then I never finish them. And then it shows up in even like, I've been recently doing diary comics, so I'll write things and, and draw pictures with them. That's kind of a practice too. So I write in all different ways. I, I have some practices that are more humorous in writing than serious. I write a lot. I'm always writing things down and writing in different ways. And I work with different writing coaches sometimes too, to, to think about things in a different way. What is a way that someone can get out of their own way? One way to get out of your own way when I do the bigger picture workshop is we start with a paintbrush dipped in Sumi ink taped to the end of a three foot dowel. And already like Forget about all those years of drawing perfectly because you cannot draw perfectly like that. And you've got ink going everywhere and it's very messy and you really have no control and you're also painting on crappy newsprint. So everything's going wrong very quickly, right? And then from there, we'll do another piece of paper where we make something really big and then we cut it out and we slap it in the middle of something. So we start breaking rules. We start breaking this perfect composition we've made. So we kind of celebrate some of the imperfections and just break open the process really of this goes here and that goes here and this has to go here because that goes there. So there are ways to loosen up and there are ways to get out of your own way. And if there weren't, I probably wouldn't paint bigger myself. We've been talking about painting large. And I think sometimes we come into art thinking that real artwork happens large, but does someone have to paint large? No, definitely not. There are so many painters that paint small. Susanna Coffey has these portraits that 
I originally saw like in a visual presentation on overhead and I just thought they were gigantic and they're not They're I don't know what the exact size is. Let's just say nine by 12, but I could be wrong. And they feel really large. So no, you do not have to paint big. You just, you don't, you don't have to do anything. You can make your own rules for it. Absolutely. There's plenty of artists that paint small. And then there are plenty of artists that paint really, really big. And then it has to do with space and materials and time. Well, maybe not time. I don't know if it takes any less time to paint a smaller canvas sometimes. So if someone came to you and said, I want to paint large, what advice do you give them? Start from observation, but only use it as a launching point, right? So you start from observation, then you can pull some old photographs in, some magazine cutouts, some patterns, some other things, you know, even just compositional things like use diagonals to make the space bigger. And we, I said earlier, like repetition of form, cropping, scaling. And, you know, when we start a workshop, we start with a whole bunch of newsprint and we use those almost as like sketches and thumb nails, but big ones, right? And then we can cut things up and move stuff around. So it's a very fluid process at the beginning. From there, you kind of have a composition that you can start painting and, you know, just don't avoid it. You can start with a limited palette. You can do all sorts of things to take out some of the concern or the worry. It's really not as bad as people think it's going to be. That's one of the things that people take away from it. Like, why didn't I do this sooner? You can learn more about Lisa Daria Kennedy, including her workshops at lisadariakennedy.com and on Instagram and Facebook. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. For show notes, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 62. And if you want great bonus conversations with artists and help support the show into the future, learn how at patreon.com slash learn to paint podcast. Thank you to everyone over in the podcast art club. An extra shiny thank you to high gloss supporters, Andrew Atterbury, Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna DeRold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Catherine Ordway, Pam Lyle, and Victoria Young. Happy painting. <laughs>